This is CliffCentral.com. So welcome to the Smart Money Podcast, a series of financial tips for different life stages. Get your money right for your life. This podcast is brought to you by Discovery. I am Maya Fisher-French, and each week we chat to a money expert to find the answers to those pressing financial questions. Now, while your retirement may seem far away and you're focused on building your career today, when should you think about investing and retirement? And probably most importantly, if you've left a bit late, how do you catch up? We're chatting to Adam Helper, who's been a financial advisor for the last 13 years and looks after approximately 500 individuals' financial planning, both on a personal and corporate level. So my first question to you, Adam, is do you practice what you preach? How's your financial plan going? Thank you, Maya. I do like to think I do because it is something that if you don't practice what you preach, then how credible are you? It's important to. So when I started in the industry, I certainly did start looking at my own financial affairs and did I used myself as a guinea pig to get started uh, with all those calculations. So you're comfortable you're on track for retirement because the figures are quite scary. I, I, I mean, I find them. So the rule of thumb, and I think this is assuming you're going to retire at around the age of 65, is that in order to be on track for retirement, to have you know, enough money that you're not sort of you know, scraping the pennies together, after five years of working, your retirement fund should be worth one year's salary. After 10 years, you should have twice your annual salary saved. And after 15 years, you need about three times your annual salary. So my question is, how many 40-year-olds have you come across that actually have three times their annual salary saved for retirement? I would say 99.9% of individuals do not. It is something that is nice in principle. And while I say my retirement's in order, it doesn't mean it is adequate. Uh, And that's very difficult to actually work out exactly what's adequate because – of inflation and because of various factors. But as far as the formulas go and the calculations go, I'm okay. As far as 40-year-olds go, and I'm pretty close to there soon, I can't say that I've met anybody in that position. I was actually looking at a a retirement industry survey recently, and it showed that the average 37-year-old has about 90,000 rand put away for retirement. Now, um, that, that is quite a scary figure. So what do you tell someone when you've got a client who walks in and they say, I'm 40 years old, I've got grand total of 90,000 rand put away, but they've got massive car debt and other short-term debt. What do you tell them? How do, how do they prioritize retirement savings? So the ABC answer is to say, kill off your debt before you start saving. Ultimately, the you have to look at what is the best return or interest being charged. So if you are financing, if you are indebted, especially the short-term stuff, that interest is very high relative to other forms of credit. And the right way to calculate it is to see if your return is going to be higher than the interest you are paying on your debt. But don't we keep getting caught in the cycle? We keep paying off debt, then taking out more debt, and then justifying more and more reasons why we never start saving. So one thing I tell a lot of people, just because you earn a lot of money doesn't mean you have a lot of money. And it's all about habit. So you're 100% right in, in saying that most people don't have enough put away. But to save going forward, it's something that has to be looked at holistically. So you have to see what are my objectives, how 
am I going to expect living in 20, 25 years' time? In my view, and based on my experience, I would say 25 years between tw- is a good time to start saving. 25 years pre-retirement is a good time to start saving. So that's an interesting Hmm, that's an interesting point because um, if you're 40 and you need to start saving for retirement 25 years before, you probably can. It's not the end of the world. Um, you actually have a bit of time. It's not all doom and gloom. I always say to clients, if you don't start from the minute you start working, you're already moving backwards. So despite fixing it later, which is possible, especially if you are nearing your 40s, it is possible it just means that you'll have to put more away, possibly. You'll have to have a much bigger short-term loss to get your long-term gain. And I want to talk about this cashing-in business because that's actually – we most of us, right, we, we, we join a company and we start putting money away and then we change jobs. And what do we do? Okay, so I'm talking about myself. Um, I remember I was 28. Um, I left uh, – uh, the company I was working for, I had a child, and it made a lot of sense for me to cash in the money. It didn't seem like that much at the time. However, before coming onto the show, I took out my calculator and I worked out that that decision has cost me about 600,000 rand compared to if I'd just let it grow. And I think, you know, it, we don't understand this compounding effect of growth. And how do we get that message across? How do you tell me at 28 not to have made that mistake? It's an interesting question that you ask because people like to see what's in front of them and live for now. And a clear example of that would be your story. Uh, they live for now. I've got to redo my kitchen, my bathrooms, whatever it may be. I'm moving employers, which is quite a common thing people do these days, especially in the corporate world. As far as it goes, when you look at potential loss and what you are potentially losing. So by cashing in, you're actually paying, firstly, you are paying a lot of tax. Okay. If it's the first time you're cashing in, it's a little bit more preferable, but you've already given up your tax free limit. By it's what about 22,500 now, I think. It's a, it's yeah, there's free. a formula yeah. to it, yeah. and the first 22500 is tax-free, and then mm. the balance is It doesn't dealt. mean you should cash it in. We're just saying. Yes. <laughs> it, it's something actually geared around retirement, and the fact that it is still an option when you leave, resign from your existing employer is bad, <laughs> in my opinion, from a retirement planning mm. perspective. Mm. Well, I mean, look at me. I mean, that's 600000 I can't even tell you what I did with the money. And if you look at, and I often say to people who I sit with 10 years down the line, who we started with 10 years ago, and these people have been moaning about their premiums for those full 10 years, and we sit and I show them how much they've actually accumulated, I tell them, your life, if you didn't start this specific plan, if you didn't start that policy 10 years ago, nothing would be different in your life from a physical lifestyle perspective nothing you may have an extra pair of shoes you may have a fancy car fancier car maybe but i highly doubt it you may have a few extra gadgets the fact is you would not have the capital Mm. that you've accrued Mm. so it's crucial as said 
earlier to get into the habit. Mm, mm. And um, I love this analogy. I know you and I were chatting earlier that you, you said about, you know, how do you get this mindset that retirement is something that's going to happen um, compared to, you know, the things that you want to spend your money on today. And you spoke about looking at your rates bill. Like one day you're going to have to pay that. Yes. So the example I'd like to use in this case is say you skip paying your utilities bill for three months, other than being cut off. Well, maybe not. Sometimes they keep you connected for some time before they cut you off. The only way you are going to make good on that is by actually paying back every single cent. Nobody's going to say, well, now that you haven't done it, let it go. Let's pick up from here. That is not how it works. So retiring Maya needs money and you owe her that money. It's almost like you've got to be a little bit schizo in this case because that is how you have you have to pay your. Maya wants self. a really good retirement. I have a picture in my head. Someone's got to pay for it, and it's the younger Maya, I suppose. That's Better right. stop putting the money away <laughs> for yes. my picture. That is how it goes. You save in the years that you are working and that you are able and that you are very energetic, and that doesn't mean you're not going to be when you're older. In fact, these days, as we spoke about in the past, these days people do live longer. That's also a financial challenge to live long. Okay. Well, I wanted to say, I mean, even if we're doing all the right things and we're on track and we've got three times our annual salary at the age of 40 and we're on track to retire at 65, well, I'm going to live till I'm 90 to 100 maybe. Is that even enough money? Is there ever enough money? It depends. (laughs) (laughs) What is enough? You see, you have to ask first what is enough. I don't know anybody who's saving too much. Mm. And... The reality is that you will get to a stage in your life where you have no alternative but to downscale. And as much as it's quite a depressing thought, you can take care of it if you have time on your side. I want to understand, I mean, we're talking about retirement, saving, but what are the vehicles that that one can can invest in. So most of us have, um, if we work for a company, I don't anymore, but that thing that I cashed in, remember? Yes, it was a company one. <laughs> so let's start with the company fund. Um, you know, how many people, I mean, with a retirement fund, there's different uh, companies have a provident fund, they've got a pension fund. How does that all work together? So according to SARS, the, the most important thing is that you do this tax efficiently. According to SARS, you're allowed to put in 27.5% of your earnings into a retirement, in, a fixed retirement instrument like a pension or provident fund or retirement annuity. Now, most employers or traditionally pension and provident funds were set at a maximum of around about 15%. So the employer would pay 7.5% and the employee would pay the other 7.5%. You can put more and you should put more. And research has proven that even if you stick with that same employer from the day you start working, until the day you retire, you will not be able to maintain your same standard of living and that same income. It's quite a broad statement, but sit with your advisor and look at what is my actual shortfall. So sit with your advisor. You may not have a shortfall. Maybe you're putting in enough based on your objectives. But if your objectives are different and you want to retire in a different country or if you want to retire on the coast, from inland. All of these things are calculations and ideas you should be bouncing off your advisor. And once those are confirmed and your objectives are confirmed, then plan around that and focus on that because 
you are paying your older self. And I think also what's important there is understanding those different pots. So we spoke about the Provident Fund and the Pension Fund. So your Provident Fund currently, you, you when you exit, you retire, you can actually take the full lump sum, whereas your, your pension fund, if I'm correct, you have to annuitize a portion of that. So mm-hmm. so understanding all of that, retirement annuities will is, is partly annuitized. So so how does financial planning Come into that as well. So maybe you're 50 years old and you now need to decide how do those pots all start to pay out? Hopefully you've got pots to, to yes. pay out. Let's so assume the, you do. <laughs> correct. So the key is to have the pots. The way they pay out is specific to that individual in terms of what is best. That would all would be very individual specific. The rule of thumb is that you shouldn't cash in your compulsory savings from your uh, pension or provident fund. Uh, most employees do not stick right through to retirement. So whether it's a pension or provident fund, pre-retirement, there's not much difference. Post-retirement, there is. Retirement annuities are portable and they are fixed forever or until you're 55. Hmm. And they have a different rule to pension and provident funds. So you can, you can't. So, I mean, there's one good thing about retirement annuities. You can't touch the money. Unlike when you're changing jobs. Correct. Um, your retirement annuity stays invested. Uh, I know I get quite a lot of letters, by the way, from readers who, who want to access their retirement annuity and, uh, write passionate letters to National Treasury. And National Treasury is not interested, listeners. Your retirement annuity is fixed and stuck there until the age of 55. So the only time it would pay out would be if, God forbid, you pass away pre-retirement. Mm. But, It stays there until you're 55. The reason, I would imagine, is that it's tax deductible. So the whole point of the tax deduction of 27.5% is because you are not going to be touching this until you are 55. SARS doesn't, or the government, doesn't want to support you when you're old, Mm. standing in a queue for a government grant. So, of course, they will incentivize you to save. And... It's unfortunate that the majority of individuals, in fact, self-employed individuals who don't even have pension and provident funds in place, don't even know about this tax deduction. So they're making Mm. all this money, they're paying a fortune of Mm. tax, and they are not prioritizing their retirement. Yes, alert. If you want to give, you know, if you don't want to give 27.5% of your income to the receiver of revenue, put it in a retirement annuity. Now, a retirement annuity, it, the retirement annuities have a little bit of bad press. Yes. And there are different types of retirement annuities. So you have your sort of traditional insurance backed uh, policy retirement annuity and now the, sort of the more flexible investment linked. What do you advise people when, when you're sitting down with somebody um, who's looking for, for retirement annuity? So the flexible options haven't always been around. They came out, I can't really remember the exact year, but they are a lot more popular purely because there are no penalties if you increase or decrease or stop your contributions. Traditionally, retirement annuities did have bad press because they were fixed and costed, for lack of a better word, they were costed over a the full term. And that individual broker who sold it back in the day would be paid for commission for the full term of that, and you would might on day even, one from yeah. on day mm. one. So that client would commit to a contribution, and they would be paid the full commission. When I say they, I'm talking the broker, the intermediary, financial advisor. They would be paid upfront commission. The new thing, and since 2006, when the pension funds adjudicator came out with a revolutionary way of 
costing retirement annuities, which I think was the best thing that ever happened to this industry because it happened a year and a half after I started in the business. And it was the best thing because it was transparent. So after five years, whether you go to company A, B, C, D, or E, all of them are priced maybe slightly differently within themselves, but the overall rules of these retirement annuities are identical okay, across all service mm. providers. So the flexible option is more attractive to somebody who's got the fixed option from a point of view that if you reduce or increase your contribution, you've now changed the plan, you've changed the way the broker has been paid as well, and the insurer or investment house, and then all of a sudden you land up paying extra fees. That has to come to a stop. And that is also why the whole retail distribution review has come into mm. effect and is coming into effect on a fee basis. So to answer your question, Maya, the fixed option with a policy number, with a backed-up policy number, with a 50% commission reduction is identical to the flexible route. So, for example, myself, I'm self-employed. There may be months where I can't contribute to my retirement annuity. Um, either of those policies, neither of them should technically should, should affect me if I had to stop my contributions uh, over, for, for short periods here and there. Correct. Okay. So I was wanted to get back to the idea that, you know, retirement uh, investing or saving for retirement, preparing for retirement isn't just about having a retirement fund. There's a much bigger needs analysis that needs to be done. Uh, and, and how do you, how, what should your advisor be looking at when you're sitting down saying, I, I've got this goal. There's a 60 year old Maya. This is my dream. So a lot of intermediaries and brokers, and this is also why we don't have a great reputation in our industry, they push product and they push it. Hard until you eventually have no choice but to sign to get them out your office. But the reality is that every individual's objectives are different and everyone's financial position is unique, which is why a financial needs analysis, which is something that was never really done by any established older financial advisor, only the really, really good ones worth their weight were the ones who did it. Today, it's a compulsory regulatory requirement that every individual buying any financial product has to do a financial needs analysis. And that analysis is, shows you exactly, at the end of it, exactly what Myers shortfalls are, exactly how much, based on Myers objectives, you have to put in to achieve this X, Y, and, and it allows you to adjust your goals and your dreams, perhaps, to be more realistic yes. or be more ambitious. And, and another one, big one, is debt. You know, a lot of people go into retirement still owing money on their homes. So, I mean, that's got to be part of the financial plan. Correct. And one of the questions I ask during a financial needs analysis is, if you have a home loan, what age are you going to be home loan free? And that is part of retirement planning. So have a day or a date that you know you are going to be home loan free, knowing that you can combine it together with other assets you may have. So, for example, a rental property or there are other ways of saving for retirement mm. in investment property. Property obviously being the main mm. other alternative. Tax-wise, we can argue that it's not as tax efficient from a capital gains perspective, but the reality is that it all forms part of a big picture 
And that picture mm. is your financial needs analysis mm. summary page. I'm always worried when I see 50, somebody, you know, you're 50 years old and you decide to, to, to buy a bigger house, financing it over 20 years without thinking that in 20 years time, you're going to be 70. So I think this is quite a key thing. I, I, you know, it's very interesting to see, see that people don't always think of the debt side when, when it comes to, to retirement. And the other one, I think we don't think enough about are health costs. It's the one thing is we can all, Lower our costs of living. We can downsize, sell our house, buy a little flat. Um, there's no more school fees, hopefully. You know, other costs go away. But our health costs double. I think they, they say we're going to spend our, what, something like 80% of our health spend is in the last five years of our life or something scary like that. How do you prepare for that? It's very difficult because human nature, and I'm going to quote um, uh, our, uh, a C, the CEO of Discovery, Adrian Gore, he mentions that People think, or I'm not sure of the exact way he mentioned it, but people believe that they will have more time tomorrow than they do today. It's an interesting thought because the human psyche is that I will not have that debt, and your mind automatically deletes it okay, from your without plan. Without planning for it. Without even planning around <laughs> yes, it. Just you assume. It's the way we, we, mm, we, mm. we are able to carry on. Mm. running our lives mm. because if we think about all the negativity around us for example uh currency uh which ultimately affects fuel price which affects that i mean we we're talking we are the consumer is being hit from all angles mm. it's very easy to wallow in that terrible negative, negative space mm. and not mm. be able to actually carry on with mm. your with your day but if the only way humans or the majority of people would think I don't, I'm not going to have this next week. I'm not going to have this tomorrow. This will be paid by the end of the year. This will be done by, that is how the human nature, that is human nature with money. Mm, mm. They think, people think they will have more time next year mm. and a 24 hour day is going to be longer. It's mm. crazy when you mm. think about it. But that is why I would say individuals don't incorporate their debt around mm. financial planning. Mm. And, um, the other thing I come across a lot of is people getting to around 55 and seeing that they've got one or two million saved in their retirement fund. They're quite excited about it and they decide, you know what, I'm going to take, I'm going to resign now and I'm going to take this money and I'm going to take effectively an early retirement. But they're actually resigning and drawing out that cash and they don't understand that a lump sum doesn't go very far when it comes to income. I think a million rand gives you about five and a half thousand rand per month income. So, so I mean, that's another very big issue that we come across, this lump sum perception around retirement. Roughly they're about, I would say it is about 5,000 on a million, but I can tell you that it's an illusion hmm. that people have with money. Most individuals don't think about sustainability mm. when it comes to money. They think about, let me try and get the maximum I can. Let me get the biggest bank balance I can get. It's temporary. You need continuity mm. and income. And especially when it comes to retirement and living long, your plan needs to fund until your last day. Granted, we don't know when that day will be. That would be. be very helpful if we did. Yeah, in a way. <laughs> well, maybe. We maybe psychologically not. Financially, be a very, very astute move. <laughs> yeah. But the fact is that the way it should be structured is that the income you draw does not actually affect the capital. Interest rates are low. Or, well, low compared to when I well, started. Well, they are historically very low. Okay. Yeah. And if you look at 
I know people don't believe this, but I, when I bought my first home in 1997, interest rates were 22%. So quite frankly, I'm thinking these interest rates are very low at this moment. (laughs) It's difficult to face the fact that if you're getting a money market rate of return of around about seven and a half, say, percent per annum, that's not a big return. Mm, mm. Traditionally, we're talking returns of even 10 years ago, pre-recession, pre-all of that, we're talking returns of 18, 20% per annum in an emerging market. So I think what's quite key for in terms of the lump sum is that I, I would personally love to see it removed from a retirement statement altogether. And all it is replaced with is income in retirement so that people don't have this perception that there's this large lump sum of money um, and it's enough. And because people always say, how much is enough? Well, do the income. You know, that's what you've got to look at. There isn't, it's not the lump sum you must be looking at. 100%. I think it ties in quite strongly. Maybe the way we can understand it or the way I can explain it to an individual not in the industry. When you look at the premium on income protection, Mm. so your ability to generate income, this is an insurance based Mm -hmm. calculation based on your age, a whole lot of different factors, all your demographics, smoking status, etc. That premium for income protection is often a lot higher than taking out a 5 or 10 million rand lump sum disability policy. And people often ask me, how is it that it's higher? And I explain to them, it's because we're going to be paying you and continuing your income for the rest Mm. of your life Mm. if Mm. something happens to Mm. you. And then they click, oh, right. So that is now guaranteed. Mm. And that is why the premium is higher because... Mm. It's very difficult to sustain Mm. a continuing income, which also increases Mm. every year. So this is all sounding a bit depressing um, because all you've really told me is I need to be saving more. And um, no matter how much I save, it seems like I'm going to keep living longer and outliving it. But I suppose the key is to at least put create the habit, start putting money away. Be that be that client who's ten years in and not starting today. Um, so so thank you very much, Adam, for joining us today. Join us for our next episode when we discuss money mindsets and being more mindful about how we spend. Because remember, Adam, it's not about how much we earn; it's about how much we spend. Spot on. <laughs> You've been listening to Smart Money, brought to you by Discovery. Get your money right for your life. This is cliffcentral.com.